This morning, we are bringing to a close a series that we've been calling Mending Christmas. Our text for the day is Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 39 to 45. That's our gospel reading. It's printed for you on the back of your worship folder. And we'll not be reading it now, but we'll be reading parts of it during the course of our message today. Now, I've mentioned every week that even though I've called this Mending Christmas, Christmas really is not in need of repairs. But rather, it's our approach to Christmas that needs a little bit of tweaking here and there. So the Christmas hasn't, the series really hasn't been about mending Christmas. It's about Christmas mending you. Now, this Christmas season or this Advent season that we're in, uh, which has been celebrated by the church for hundreds and hundreds of years, is a season of expectation. It's a season of repentance. It's a season of preparation. And Christmas... I think more than anything else, reminds us that God really does care about this world. It reminds us that he is involved in human history, and because of his love for us, and because of our desperate need for a Savior, he sent his Son into this world to save us. And just like people were waiting for over 4,000 years, many years ago, uh, anticipating the coming of the Messiah... And just like the world was waiting in expectation on his arrival on that starry night in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago, today again we're finding ourselves on the Sunday before Christmas waiting in expectation of his arrival. Only this time we're not really waiting for Christmas, we're actually waiting for his second coming, as we saw in week one of this series, and we also wait for him to come into our lives even now with power and glory with the Holy Spirit and fire, as we learned from John the Baptist a week ago. In fact, I I, I can go so far as to say that that maybe some of you today actually need the fire of God in your life. You need to get fired up rather than just be kind of complacent. I mean, I go to basketball games and football games where the cheerleaders shout, fire up, big team, fire up. And maybe that'll be the job of, you know, the pastor... John the Baptist type to say, fire up, big team, fire up. Fire up with the presence of the Spirit and the fire. Many of you here today might even say, you know, I could actually use an extra jolt of power in my life today. Maybe as Christmas rolls around, you start thinking about family and friends. You, you realize that there are some relationships that probably wore a little thin this year. Maybe you need to heal some of those relationships and Maybe there's some hurt and anger that needs to be ridden, rid out of your life or the bitterness that has existed for way too long between you and someone else. Uh, maybe you actually just, at this time of the year, you just feel a great need to change the situation of your life. Maybe it's a financial situation or a job or a crisis that you're kind of up against. And you, you need him really just to change you, to change your heart, to change your hope. Uh, to bring back the laughter in your life. You know, you think about Christmas. Christmas ought to be a time when everybody walks around with a big smile on their face and says, Merry Christmas, and, and have a big smile on their face. But boy, there are a lot of people that look like Scrooge. They look like Lutherans who are baptized in vinegar. It's going to sour, sad faces. But friends, the Christmas season reminds us that the God we serve is the God who does all of those things already for us. Before Jesus was born, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and he, and he said uh, these words. 
He said, uh, Joseph, son of David. I think maybe I skipped that part. I should have put this verse in here. Okay, this is good enough. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua. Uh, because he will save his people from their sins, and this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very first church I pastored was Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Belvedere, Illinois. And I remember all the time thinking, particularly during Christmas season, how Emmanuel, God is with us. And I don't know how many times I ever reminded that congregation that no matter what was going on in the life of the people in that church or the life of that congregation, that God was with us. Now, this church is called St. Mark's, but at the same time, I'm here to remind you again, friends, Emmanuel, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in this church, God is with us. And see, that God is with us. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he came to be. So I want you to know that no matter how alone you might feel in many respects during this Christmas season, that you are not alone. Christmas means that you're never alone. Uh, no matter how many things, or no matter how things may look on the surface of your life, at this moment you are not alone. Now today we're going to take a look at a central character in the Christmas story, the mother of Jesus, Mary. Uh, Mary kind of exemplifies uh, what it means to live a life of faith. And probably many of you know her story. Uh, Mary was a young girl. Uh, most historians, Bible scholars, say Mary was probably about 14 years old when she got married. And Joseph may have been 30. That was not unusual in that day and age. She was engaged to a carpenter by the name of Joseph. And one day, as she was minding her own business at home, an angel came to her and said, Greetings, you who are Highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, I'm not sure what you would do if you were 14 and you were sitting in your own bedroom or whatever, and suddenly an angel showed up and said, Hi, how are you doing? Guess what? God is here to do something great with you. Maybe it'd scare you half to death. Uh, maybe you'd wonder what it was all about. Maybe you'd wonder if it was really an angel or whatever. Now, the Bible does say that she was troubled at those words. It's kind of like, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, and he went on to explain to her that you will give birth to a son, and that may have frightened a 14-year-old girl who was only engaged. His name is going to be called Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And Mary was clear enough thinking to say, how's this possible? I'm a virgin. Well, the angel goes on and he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called <coughs> the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to have been barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Now at this point, maybe it was, th it was sinking in a little bit on this young girl. Maybe she was beginning to understand something about this road that lay before her, the journey that God was going to put her on, and her response was rather classic in verse 38. She doesn't say, no, I don't want to. Uh, this is nonsense. She just says, 
I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, this woman named Elizabeth, mentioned by the angel, she was Mary's relative, a, a cousin. And I always think about this, and everybody says, well, Mary and Joseph couldn't find any place to stay when they got to Bethlehem. By the way, Elizabeth only lived about five miles away. They would not have been thrown out into a cave or a barn. I mean, it turns out that the child that she was expecting was none other than John the Baptist. The same John the Baptist we've looked at for like two weeks in a row in parts two and three. Now, at this point, really, all Mary knew about was that her cousin, an older woman, probably in her 60s, maybe even 70, had been barren her whole life, had been told she would never be able to have children, was now having a very similar experience to her own. And so the Bible says that Mary very quickly decides to take a little journey to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, here's where the text comes in a little bit further. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, six months in the womb, leaped. Now, having never been pregnant, I'm not quite sure what that feels like, but those of you who have been probably know what it feels like to have something move inside of you. Uh, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in a loud voice, uh, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you were born. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Isn't that amazing? It's like she already knew who the baby was. The mother of our Lord. And as soon as the sound of your greeting actually reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then she says, finally, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. How did Elizabeth know all of that? Wow. Because she was in the presence of the Lord. See, Mary, if you will, exemplifies the life of faith, the life of obedience. And she was blessed by God because, as Elizabeth says here, she believed that what the Lord said to her would actually take place. Now, of course, we kind of look back on this story through uh, a 2,000-year-old historical lens called the Bible. We know how this story ends. Mary didn't know how it was going to end. I mean, she knew clearly that something miraculous had happened. Uh, She also knew that she was about to travel a rather difficult journey in her young life. She also knew that she was unmarried and that she was pregnant. She also knew what people in that little village would probably think and what conclusions they would jump to. She also knew maybe what her husband-to-be might think when he found out. She didn't really know how people would react or how he would react or how her family would react. She only knew what God had told her, what God had promised her, and that was all she was going to cling to. But you know something? The promises of God are all you really need. See, Mary, without a doubt, is probably one of the most revered, admired, and venerated people in history. Now, we don't worship Mary. Uh, We don't pray to Mary. But I think we can certainly come to appreciate the value of her contribution uh, to this salvation story. And so God has chosen this young girl, let's let's call her a 14-year-old teenager, to bring his son into this world to care for him, to nurture him, to teach him how to walk and talk and 
pray and obey and stay with him all the way to the cross. And just like we learn from the lives of faith about people like uh, Abraham, David, uh, Peter and Paul, we can learn about how to live a life of faith from this young girl, Mary. Now, her older cousin, Elizabeth, said, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, this morning, what I want to do is look at Mary's faith and see what we can learn. Maybe help mend our Christmas life a little bit more. Just as God promised Mary that she would give birth to a son, God has made promises to you. You ever count the promises of God in the Bible? There are a lot of them. Let me give you a few. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am always with you even to the end of time. All things work together for your good. I will give you your heart's desire. Sin shall no longer be your master. You will learn to overcome. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you have the smallest kernel of faith, you can move mountains. I will forgive your sins and remember your iniquities no more. I will give you strength to overcome temptation. I will use you to make a difference in the world that you live in. I will fill your heart with joy and peace and love. I will give you life everlasting and life more abundant. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will, you will receive power to do great things. And I could go on and on and on. I mean, there are literally hundreds and hundreds, some people say nearly 5,000 promises of one kind or another in the Bible that apply to you and me and to every believer. Now, there are some promises of God that when you read them, you know, almost just like that, that this is a promise that God is speaking into your life. And you trust that. Uh, boy, I tell you, the first time I ever came across Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, about trusting the Lord, it was like God says, okay, Barry, read this, follow this. He was talking to me. Let me give you a, an, an example of how this sometimes works. A number of years ago, I was preaching on the Old Testament prophet of Haggai. It's another book you ought to read. We may get to that in adult class. Uh, I quoted verse 9 of chapter 2 in the book of Haggai. And verse 9, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9 says, In this place I will bring peace. Afterwards, after church that morning, one of the men in that church came up to me, and at that time they were experiencing a great deal of family difficulty. In fact, he was attending church, the rest of the family wasn't. That's kind of odd in its, in its own way. But he told me, when I heard those words this morning, when I saw those words on the screen, I knew that God was speaking to me. And he said, I, I thought in my heart that if I will bring my family to this place, then we can experience peace with one another together again. And he began that journey of faith then, of restoring his family, and little by little he began to see the promises of God come alive in his life. Now, friends, God has made many promises to you as well. That's, that's why it's so important to spend time in his word and let him speak to you through the words of scripture. It's there that we really encounter his promises. It's there where we learn to live lives of faith. And today I just encourage you to believe all that the Lord has promised to accomplish in you, even as he promised Mary. Now, there are three ways I want to go through very quickly this morning. Number one is just to keep on believing when other people don't believe you. You ever had that happen? You were so 
Man, you were so sure of something everybody else thought you were nuts or thought you were goofy or where you got that from. Now, Mary, I want you to think about, put yourself back in her sandals for a moment. Mary knew that people would start talking and that perhaps Joseph would actually put her away, which is the Old Testament way of divorcing, that he would ultimately refuse to even consider being her husband. Mary knew that maybe nobody would really believe her story. Can you imagine when Mary's mom and dad came home that day and she said, uh, Oh, Mary, what happened today? Well, I got pregnant. What? Joseph. No, it wasn't Joseph. Well, who was it? It was the Holy Spirit. He overshadowed me. Would you believe that? Probably not. She knew that she was probably going to have to sacrifice her reputation, you know, unwed mother. That she'd probably be the subject of gossip. Now, she lived in a small little village of Nazareth where everybody's business was everybody's business. Maybe her own family would want to reject her. You know, they're going to send her off to the far hill country to live with, you know, Uncle Fred and Aunt Ethel for, you know, until the time came. Uh, she even said, but, you know, as, I, as she said, even if this stuff happens, I will still stay faithful to the God who has chosen me. She said, if I have to sacrifice my reputation in order to be used by God, so be it. I will put my trust in him. Now, in the 30 years that I've been in the pastoral ministry, I'm going to tell you about something that I've seen more than once. And it's this. Some professional church workers, I'm talking about pastors, teachers, missionaries, get a raw deal. They're misunderstood by people they work with. Sometimes their very motives are challenged. People say, oh, they're just in it for the money. Or they're just in it for the glory. Or they don't really care about people. They're just looking out for themselves. What I've seen is that good people in the church will sometimes be judged by other people who don't have all the facts. I've known people whose reputation has not been as good as it should have been because they prefer to do what's right rather than do what's popular or what's politically correct. Now, I've also seen this happen to public school teachers as well. I've seen it happen with parents who spend year after year after year making tough decisions and making tough sacrifices for their kids that, they, that, that kids will never, ever know about, but then have to experience the time when their kids say, why didn't you do this for us? I mean, why didn't you do that? I mean, why were you so strict? Why were you so bossy? I mean, why did you work all the time? Why didn't you provide more? And the wine goes on and on and on. Now, all I'm saying is that there will be people like that, even people you serve with at work or at school or church who sometimes don't fully understand or don't fully appreciate what you're doing all the time. There will be times when people around you are going to come to some Conclusions because they only know just a little bit of the facts. Now, when this happens, and guess what? It will probably happen to all of you at one time or another, where people just don't understand you for some reason. I would just encourage you to follow the example of Mary. Keep believing God. Keep trusting God. Keep relying on his promises because your day of honor will come, even if it's at the end when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the second thing. Keep believing even when the road gets tough or rough. When the angel said to Mary that she'd give birth to the Son of God, he did not conclude 
the announcement by saying, therefore, we'll put you in a mansion and bring you catered meals, and you'll have servants at your beck and call, and we'll even provide a diaper service. That was not part of the announcement. Now, one might argue that such a woman who was actually going to give birth to the Son of God deserved that kind of luxury, but that's not the life that God called her to. And it's not necessarily the life that God calls us to. You know, he calls us to a life that, more often than not, kind of comes with a price tag. That's why it's called the life of sacrifice. Now, Mary, again, was arguably one of the greatest women who ever lived, and yet, instead of being given a life of luxury, she was called to live a very simple life. Her husband was a carpenter. They lived in a poor community in Galilee, which might be compared to living in Appalachia or the hills of East Tennessee or the Ozarks of Arkansas or Missouri or wherever. The fact is that sometimes the road was just a little bit rough for them. Uh, Sometimes things in life just do not happen without a certain amount of trauma. There have been times even when I have asked, God, why don't you make this ministry a whole lot easier? I mean, why can't I just kind of coast for a while? Couldn't you at least, if you're not going to make the get rid of the road, could you at least make it a little bit smoother and maybe give me a nice restful off-ramp every once in a while? Well, the answer to questions like that is because those who uh, seek to live a life of faith sometimes travel a long and lonely path. And this applies to me, it applies to you, it applies to everybody. Uh, the road to fulfill, the fulfillment of the promises of God does not flow downhill. It's almost always an uphill climb. It's almost always rough, but I can guarantee you something, the journey with Jesus is always worth it. One of my favorite Bible verses uh, in the Christmas story is Luke 2.19. After Jesus had been born, after the angels had uh, announced the birth, the, little, the shepherds had come to witness the miracle, the Bible said, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Or maybe you remember in the King James, she thought about them and pondered them in her heart. What do you think she thought about all the time? After she knew she was going to give birth to this baby, what do you think was going on in her mind? Now, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you what I think she was thinking. Now, this didn't fall off Mount Sinai, so this is not a scripture. I'm just going to tell you what I was thinking, which probably explains how I think sometimes. But I have a wonder if she thought, I don't understand this at all. Angels, babies without being with a man. You know, something is worth it. Every difficult day, every whispered rumor, every step of the journey, it's all worth it. Because look at what God has given me. I kind of think that's what she always thought about. So I just say, friends, keep on believing, even when the road gets rough. The third thing is keep believing even when things seem impossible. Again, I go back to, like I say, most people thought that she was like 14, 15, maybe as old as 16. She was a single woman, engaged but not married. She was a virgin. She was faithful to God, and she was faithful to that man that God had placed in her life. But then, boom, suddenly the impossible happened to her. She became pregnant. And she asked, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the angel says, what? Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? Nothing is impossible with God. See, the solution to your situation, I don't know what your situation is right now. The solution to whatever situation you're in right now may seem impossible. 
Humanly speaking, maybe it actually is. But friends, we, are, we serve a God who is not bound by human limitations. We serve a God who can intervene in human history on our behalf and our time and need in whatever way he wants to do it. Now, you may think that a broken relationship can never be saved, but God, with God, nothing is impossible. If that relationship isn't saved, you may think that there's no way you could ever continue on your own, but with God, nothing is impossible. You may think that there's no solution for whatever ails you, your health problem today, but with God, all things are possible. And if your health problems are just going to be a permanent part of your life, and you may think there's no way you're ever going to learn how to deal with that, remember, with God, all things are possible. You may think your financial situations are too enormous to be resolved, but with God, Nothing is impossible. You may think that you'll never, ever be happy again or content or live in the life of luxury that you always hoped that would kind of be right around the corner. But guess what, friends? With God, nothing is impossible. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For more, well, almost 13 years, I looked at that Bible passage hanging on a banner in the back of the church at Lord of Life. More often than not, I'd say I'd look up at that sometimes before a sermon wondering whether I was going to get through this. Or sometimes wondering about some of the things we were planning to do in the church, the new building or a new way of thinking about doing things or adding this program or maybe get rid of it. And sometimes wondering how I was going to get this done. And But God would always give me this subtle little nudge. It doesn't say Barry can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Basically, it just, I forget the part here where it says it's the God who does the strengthen. It's God who does the work. He will use you. He will use you. It's got nothing really to do with you, but he can use you. He works through you. You know, the impossible thing happened here with Mary. And uh, the road was not easy. The road was rough. And she just said, if I travel alone or with many, if I live in abundance or I live with lack, uh, God can give me the strength to face whatever I might strength. So, nothing is impossible with God. Now, I'm going to tell you what I, I've learned this means. And that's that sometimes God actually comes through with a miracle. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. But this is what else I've learned. Sometimes we get through it without the miracle. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. I get a kick out of some people who say, well, I'm praying for a miracle. Well, go on. Pray for it. But if the miracle doesn't come, it doesn't change God's ability to do something about it. So all I'm saying is Mary believed in the God of the impossible. There's an interesting book written a couple of years ago. It was called Your God is Too Small. And I, I, I'm afraid sometimes that all of us go through that where our God is just too small because we kind of put him in a human box. And we don't think God can do everything. I mean, if you've ever been tempted to say, I could never do this, or I could never try that, or I, I, I couldn't survive in that situation, don't believe that. that that's, that's nonsense from the devil. Believe instead in the God of the impossible. Quite honestly, I don't think God would be worth believing in if he didn't do the impossible things. 
See, if you believe nothing is impossible with God, that he's going to give you, uh, he's going to give you the power to overcome any situation, that it doesn't matter what other people think or feel or say. If you believe nothing is impossible with God, then you can endure the rough road, the long journey, because you know what's waiting for you at the end. See, Mary was blessed because she chose to believe what God had promised. And that's always an example of faith that you and I can follow. Now, I called this series Mending Christmas, and I probably, in fact, I think initially I called it Living in Expectation. Because that's really what Advent is. That's really what life is. We're living in expectation. We go through seasons of life, and the older you get, you've been through a whole lot more seasons. I've been through a whole lot more seasons of life than you two. I've been through more seasons of life than you two. Even you, John, I've been through more seasons of life. I'm even two years ahead of my wife in seasons of life. But we all go through seasons of life. And sometimes those seasons of life that we find ourselves waiting for God. Waiting for him to move in our lives. We wait through December also for the day when the gifts show up under the tree and then we finally get to celebrate with those we love most. But guess what? That day always arrives. But you know something? In the very same way we can live in that expectation of God's arrival, God's promises, knowing that they too will arrive. They may not show up when we want them, but maybe like candid camera, they'll show up when we least expect them. That's why I encourage you to mend Christmas by mending your attitude towards us. See the Christmas season for what it really is. It's a season in which we learn to live in expectation, knowing the fulfillment of God's promises are on its way. As I said at the beginning of the service today, you know, it's only Sunday. Friday's on the way. It'll be here, God willing. Amen.